Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. previous ball out of his mind and just absolutely hammered a square drive. And welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel. Joining me is Paul Dennett. And today on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, in our winter series, we have a special guest, former test opener, Marcus Harris. Heard him there just in action. Marcus, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. When I say former test opener, obviously that's just uh, in the in the very short term. I'm sure we're all hoping. Yeah, that's okay. I didn't take any offence to that. Um, <laughs> so, um, Marcus, um, we're starting off all these uh, winter series specials by asking, um, you know, what your favourite cricket memory is. Oh, jeez, um, it's hard to narrow it down. I think. Um, I think looking back probably over the last few years, I've sort of had a pretty um, jam-packed sort of um, couple of years with a few personal highlights. I know um, playing at WA had always been a big big goal of mine to win a Sheffield Shield. So since when I moved to Victoria to finally win that first one was a huge thing for me personally um, to be a part of. But I think um, growing up as a kid, watching cricket, wanting to play for Australia... Um, I think finally getting a baggy green was probably the biggest thing. But then um, to travel to England, be a part of the Ashes squad that we didn't win, but we retained the Ashes over there, which hadn't been done for a long time. So to be a part of that was probably 
um, number one on the list of special things. Yeah, what a fantastic tour to be on. And I guess on the flip side, we're asking what is sort of your your worst cricket mem- memory? What's the sort of toughest day you've had? Well, probably going back to the Ashes and dropping Ben Stokes at third man um, in that test match. But um, I know at the time it sort of felt like my world was ending and everything was going to be um, over. But um, I think that was pretty tough. Um, I think some of the tougher things I've been through are probably like things like moving away from home and moving to a different state. Like that's a big thing to do um, as a young guy. So um, that was a challenge. It definitely wasn't tough. It's been the best thing I've ever done. But um, I think personally as a cricketer, yeah, probably dropping that catch in the ashes um, wasn't great. Yeah, I saw you reflecting on that in Amazon's The Test. Have you watched that series? Yeah, I watched it once. Um, I sort of skipped through those couple of um, episodes at the end there. But um, no, I thought it was really good. They did it really well. Um, when I first came into the test squad, they just sort of started being probably three or four months into it. So um, I think I was quite lucky with the time that I played for Australia. It's pretty much documented in a documentary. So it's pretty good to look back on um, and it'll be good to look back in the future. But um, Doc, the guy that filmed it all, he was really good. You sort of didn't realise he was there most of the time, which is probably half the battle with those things, actually trying to get genuine emotion out of people. So um, I thought he did it really well and it came out really good. That scene where you have to back up and um, watch the replay of the last partnership at Headingley, uh, that was a riveting viewing. Uh, but, it, you know, it must have been tough the next day having to front up to that. Yeah, it was It was tough. Um, I know that night when we got home from the test, um, we sort of just went in the team room and had a couple of beers and just sort of were trying to work out what to do. And it sort of felt like um, all the wind had been knocked out of us a little bit and we weren't too sure what to do. So Jay had said we'd all go for breakfast the next morning and then lo and behold, we sat in the conference room watching the replay of the last partnership. So um, at the time, I think it was pretty tough. I, I was sitting next to Gaza and we both didn't really know what to do. But um, I think looking back on it in hindsight, it was probably the best thing to do because we dealt with it straight away. Um, and it wasn't one of those things that we didn't deal with and, you know, didn't get over. So we, luckily enough, we dealt with that. It was tough at the time, but, you know, it's a good learning experience, and I think we showed. I think two days later, we went and played a game down in Derbyshire, and everyone did really well. Then we um, played really well the next week in Manchester. So, um, yeah, it was a tough thing to go through, but it was one of those things where it had to be done, and I think it was the right thing in the end. How did you find the uh, English crowds? I was there at Edgebest in the test match where you weren't playing, and the crowd was... Uh, you know, enormously loud. Um, what was your general experience with English crowds throughout the whole tour? Yeah, it's good. You sort of give as good as you get. They obviously cop it when they come here, so we only get as good as what we get when we go over there. But um, they're quite funny, the English people. So um, I think you take it with a grain of salt. If you take it personally, it'd probably wear you down a little bit. But um, I think fortunately enough, we had Davy and Smithy playing, so they took a bit of heat off most of us. But um, they were good. They were funny. They were having a good time. Um, there's nothing too malicious to get said. So um, I enjoy the way they go about it. They've got a great ability to make 15,000 people feel like 100,000. So um, I know they did it headingly, but um, they were great. And that's why when you watch the TV, when you watch the cricket when you're younger, it's always great to see the Barmy Army going nuts. So to be a part of it on the ground was pretty good. And just taking you back to um, a previous experience in England, I noticed that when you just when you were about 17 or 18, you played for a couple of months in the, um, the West of England Premier League for Taunton. I've often heard yeah. of... Um, young cricketers going over there and having the time of their lives, coming back 10 kilos heavier, learning how to drink beer. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, 
when I, well, it all started with my dad when I was 15, 16, was coaching um, a suburban turf cricket side in Perth, um, Double View Kareen. And we had um, an overseas player coming there called Errol Supplier, who played for Somerset. Um, so we had a really good relationship with him. And then uh, the following season, when I was playing um, local first grade cricket in Perth for Scarborough, Craig Keyswetter came out as well, who was from Somerset. Um, so we had some good connections down there. And then in year 12, um, we were lucky enough to go on a, um, a trip to England because I was in a cricket program at my school. Um, and we went over in 2009, I think it was. Um, when, so we went for a month. And then on the back end of that month, everyone went back to school and my old man and stepmom and me, we went down to Taunton for a couple of weeks and just made some good when I obviously caught up with Arrow and Craig and uh, met some people down the career club there and made some good friends. So um, as soon as I'd finished school that year, I went back in 2010 and um, it was a good experience. Obviously being 18, I'd never been away from home for too long. Um, so that was good to go and live with a family. I I didn't actually, I didn't go that well, to be fair. I probably would average, played 10 games and average 25, but um, it was just good to be over there playing something different. Taunton's actually a really nice ground. The wicket that our ground that we played at was the Somerset Second Eleven ground, so it's just about the best wicket I've ever played on. And the outfield down in the west of England, the um, southwest, the weather's pretty good. So in summer, once it gets a bit dry, the outfield's a lot concrete, and you hit it half or right. The things go 150 meters along the ground. So um, I went back in 2015 um, for three or four months. Um, and that was really good. I was a bit older then and a bit more mature, and um, that was a good experience um, and went really well. So that was a good time. But, yeah, I've had the good fun and met some, made some good friends that live down there. Yeah, they certainly know um, how to enjoy their cricket in England. Yeah. Uh, but every ground. Yeah, have a good time. Uh, so, you know, looking at your test career, promising start against the Indians, went to England, some really tough conditions. You, you didn't make the team to last summer, but – you know, for Victoria, you know, 442 runs, an average of almost 50. Are you happy with the way you bounced back from your test axing? Yeah, it was, a, um, it was an interesting... Uh, the whole season last season was just a bit strange, really. Um, obviously, went to England, um, didn't go as well as what I wanted to go, but sort of knew that if I came into the start of last season that... Um, and started strongly, I could at least mount my case to keep my spot. Um, I knew that was going to be tough, but um, I, that was the mindset I was going in with. And um, I got 100 in that first game at the junction, but there was sort of the wicket was crap and just a crap game. We only batted once and then um, played another Shield game in Perth. And then we played another game against New South Wales, only had one hit. And then we had the game against WA called off. So I'd sort of... Um, got to Christmas and I was like, oh, I haven't, I feel like I've batted like five or six times in shield cricket here and I haven't really, like, and it's already Christmas. It just didn't feel like um, the season really got out of second year. So um, and then obviously the season got cut short again at the end of the year. So it was just a strange year. Um, I, I was happy that I still found a way to um, make runs. I didn't make the big runs that I would have liked, um, but I still sort of, you know, I was getting 50s and 60s and 100 here and there. So um, it was okay. It wasn't quite where I wanted to be. But, um, yeah, like I said, it just felt like a really weird summer. Like, it was just a bit all over the place. Um, just a bit disjointed. And But that's the way it is. You've got to deal with that sort of stuff. And I sort of know going forward, you know what you need to do. If you put runs on the board, that stuff sort of looks after itself. And if you don't, you leave yourself open to 
um, being left out of side. So it's pretty simple, really. It sounds frustrating um, last summer, but you must be itching to get back into it. Yeah, we, um, we've been back training. Luckily enough, even with the lockdown, we've got an exemption to be able to train. So we just started hitting balls about two weeks ago. Um, so that's been really good. Um, but yeah, it's still a little while to the season starts. And then, um, I think with our current situation here in Melbourne, it might be an interesting start for us again, but we'll just have to adapt and get on with it. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the season starting again. Might be playing your home games up in Queensland or something. Oh yeah. Somewhere around there. Could be anywhere. I'm not sure. So, so Marcus, why was the move across the Nullarbor? so good for your batting it really did sort of propel you to the next level and your average took a you know a massive steep upward curve why was that I think um well it was it wasn't even just for my batting I think being young always been at home or sort of it's a little bit of a comfort zone sort of thing was being in Perth um I'd played six seasons at WA and it always felt like it was sort of the same thing every year it'd sort of be two steps forward one step back and I could never um sort of just take that leap or I'd have a really big year um and I don't think it wasn't even the fault of anyone it was just the thing where just I needed to get into a different environment I had a few people sort of encouraging me to go and look at that opportunity um and then it got to the point in my last year WA where I was like you know what I'd I'd rather go and have a crack at playing Victoria for initially the three years that I'd been offered and you know if I'd got to the end of that and gone well you know it wasn't meant to be it wasn't meant to be but I'd be disappointed if I didn't have the have a crack at doing that so I thought bugger it I'm going to go over there and you know go live by myself um look after myself and just you know try it in a new environment um Victoria was a very successful team well we still are a very successful team at that time so I was like well it's a good opportunity to go and play with some senior guys um at that time you know Cameron White was still there Bobby Quiney um Andrew McDonald oh he wasn't there then David Saker was the coach. You know, Dave Hussey was around the group. Um, Lockie Stevens was assistant coach who I'd had in WA. So it was, it just sounded like a good opportunity. So I thought, you know, bugger it, I'm going to go over there and have a crack. So, um, and I think in doing that, just from things from like living by myself, looking after myself, having a cook for myself. Um, I think that, I think that helped me mature. And I sort of, I've found that in my batting that I've been able to, work things out for myself rather than having to go to a coach and go, what do you think? Or trying to impress a coach. I just go, well, I know what I need to do. I'll go out there and prove it. And I don't need anyone to help me. I can still ask for advice, but I don't need, you know, I'd used to always rely on J.O. a lot to give me some advice. And he's not out there batting with you. So how's he going to help you? So um, I just thought it was a great opportunity. So um, that's probably been the main reason for it. And just having, you know, everything at home is pretty good. I've got a good partner. Um, so there's not too much to worry about when I walk out on a cricket field. Yeah, wow. When you first went across, um, you got 115 and 77 in your first Shield game for Victoria on the MCG. Was that a, a satisfying, pivotal moment for you? Yeah, it was good. It was a good, it was sort of a relief, sort of just to get it off my back straight away and not have to worry about making 100 for Victoria. So, um, yeah, that was good. It was great to play in that team I still remember Wadey was captain um used to hate Wadey's guts when he played against him just you know what he's like you see him on the TV he's getting stuck in everyone and telling them what they think and it's just a bit annoying but and then to play with him was great so um yeah that was really good that was a good game I have I'd done okay against the pink ball before nothing too much so that was good to get 100 in that first game of that season and um sort of get the ball rolling a little bit
you know, you, you did so well for Victoria. You get picked for Australia. What, what was that moment like when you when you got the call from Trevor Hones and you said you're in the team? Oh, it was huge. I still remember being at home. We just, I just, um, like I do sometimes without planning, I'd gone and my partner, she's from Perth, but she was, she had been working in Brisbane, then she'd moved down to Melbourne. So we'd just started living together and I'd been promising the whole time if she moved down, I'd go and would buy a dog. So I'd just bought a dog about three weeks before, which was good. Uh, and we'd been at puppy preschool. So I was there and then we um, just got home and, and Trevor rang me and, I'd never spoken to Cracker on the phone before, so I knew that it must have been something good. Um, and it was just, it, you're pretty much, you're just going to shock, really. It's just all your dreams coming true as a young bloke and as a young cricketer that, you know, you dream of playing for Australia, but then it's actually becoming reality. So um, it was just probably, it was just, the feeling was just like joy. And I was so keen to like ring mum and dad and let them know what's going on and ring some people that have been with me through the journey. So um, it was great for them as much as it was great for me. but. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I can still remember it now. I was bloody, oh, it started almost crying. It's like, well, bloody hell, like, this is actually going to become a reality now. It's not, I'm not just playing as a state cricket. I'm actually going to have the chance to, you know, play for my country. Wow. What sort of dog is it? He's a French bulldog. Archie, come here. <laughs> He's just, come here. You're going strong. <laughs> hey, there he is. Archie. A cutie. Yeah, he's oh, a maniac. Yeah. Cost me a fortune. I bet. <laughs> but no, he's good. <laughs> so, oh, so it sounds like a magic moment. Um, in that series, you know, the Indian quicks are just, you know, relentless. Which of their quicks did you find, I guess, the toughest to face? Well, I think the biggest challenge I had was in the first test was a bit of the unknown. I didn't I'd, see the guys on the TV, but that doesn't really do it justice. Um, and in the first test, it's all the emotion of playing your first test, getting out of there, getting off the mark, being out in the middle, you know, standing there going, bloody hell, there's Virat Kohli and stuff like that. You sort of get over that stuff. And then once you get into the series, you sort of appreciate how good they are. And um, I think with the ways, obviously a lot spoken about, but with um, Jasper Boomer, it was just how different he was. There was no real, I hadn't really faced many blokes off run off five steps and bowl 150. So you don't really have... Um, much of a reference point. Whereas most blokes you face, you've probably faced someone similar or bowls similar in, you know, any form of cricket, but I hadn't faced anyone like that. So um, that was a really big challenge um, for me. Um, I mean, they don't let, they don't let the guys with the slingy actions uh, go anymore. That's, that's why, I mean, um, they, they coach it all out of them. They're sort of Jeff Thompson boomerists where the arm comes from nowhere. Well, I think that's because they snap in half if they bowl that for too long. So, um, Lucky. Yeah, so I hadn't experienced anyone like him. So that's what was really tough was to sort of have a reference point of radio, try and work out a game plan against him. Um, he's obviously really skillful. He bat, he troubled me a little bit with his short ball just because it was a bit hard to pick it up. So um, I think I went through three or four helmets in that series. Um, but I think towards the end of the series, I sort of got a bit more, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I sort of found a way to play him. So... But he was a challenge. But then again, so is Muhammad Shami and so was Ishant Sharma. They were, at the time, they were the number one test side in the world. And you could obviously see that for a reason with the way that they bowled and the discipline that they had. Um, I think as well, even it was lucky that Ashwin was injured after that first test. Otherwise, um, well, they all bowled really well, but he would have been a big challenge as well. There ever a moment when, especially with Boomer, where, as you're saying, he comes up a few steps, there must be a feeling that, oh, this is going to be medium pace, even though you're not, you know, it's not going to be. When it does crack you in the helmet, does, 
Um, was it ever physically intimidating? Uh, no, no. Oh, it's just sort of part and parcel of it. Sometimes, I, um, you know, you face plenty of guys that bowl quick. If there's no one bowls any quicker than what they are, big quicks bowl on the net. So, you know, you're not going to face anyone that bowls any quicker. But um, it's just a bit like, oh, I've probably got to find a way to play this a bit differently. Those guys are a bit steeper bounce, you know, like Starkey and Joshy Hazelwood and Paddy Cummins, whereas he's sort of skiddying at you. So you just got to find a way to get out of the way a bit quicker. Um, otherwise, you find you do get hit in the head. But, um, yeah, it's not intimidating, but it's just it's just a different challenge. And what about the shift from being a state cricketer to an international cricketer? Obviously, the summer you came in, there was so much attention on the team. How do you cope with the extra attention as now, a, you know, an international cricketer? Yeah, I think... Um, well, it was a big eye-opener. The summer I came in was when the new media deal had been done. So you'd sort of go and warm up on the ground. There was every man and his dog. There's probably more media out there than what there was, you know, players and staff. So um, that was big enough in itself. And then I think the biggest thing with international cricket is probably just the mental drain of um, there's always something happening. There's always someone's talking about something. You can't stay cricket. You can go under the radar. You know, no one knows who you are. So you can sort of do whatever you want in a way. But um, that was the biggest challenge and obviously everyone's really happy for you and proud for you so everywhere you go you've probably got mates in each state so everyone wants to catch up with you all the time um, and you don't really realise at the time I remember the end of that Indian series I was like oh bloody I'm absolutely stuffed like and it wasn't so much physically it was more the mental sort of side of it of you know you play you play all day which is no different to playing state cricket but then you know you don't it's really hard to switch off you know you look at your phone somewhere and it's always about the test side look in the paper it's about the test side so you just didn't really get a break from it so that was probably my biggest challenge at the start of my test career was just trying to get used you get used to it after all it's fine but just mm. initially was just the, the difference in attention and um there's scrutiny oh you understand people have got to talk about it sell papers and speak on the radio so there's endless um analysis going on so that's just that was the different thing and that's what took a little while to get used to and are you one of those people that, you know, reads the stuff about you or tries to sort of not read it at all? Oh, I try to, it's, you try to stick away from it as much as you can. Um, in a way, you understand you're gonna, there's going to be times where you just can't, um, you know, get away from it. But I always remember being told as a young bloke at WA by one of our, if he was our general manager or something, he goes, Harry, whatever people say about you're never going to be as good or as bad as what they say. So just remember that for the rest of your career. So. Um, it's easy to look at the paper when you've done well because you're not going to cop it. But it's, it's when you haven't made any runs or you've you know stuffed up something that's tough. But um, I think I've grown to get, I've grown to just you know have a thick skin and you just get on with it. At the end of the day, you got to walk out there and do your job. And if you don't do your job, you open yourself up to that. But if you do, you know it's fine. So um, I know some guys get really involved in it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that have an opinion on what you're doing that don't really have much an idea about what it's like. So that's if you chew up a lot of energy with that stuff, it can be tough. Yeah, I guess my thing would be that if you were to just read it all and take it all on board, it could just, I don't know, just mess up your head a bit. Like if you want to clear your head, sometimes you, you wouldn't want to read that stuff. Yeah, exactly right. And I think you have people that you um, you trust their opinion and you appreciate what they're saying. So it can be good feedback. Whereas if it's, you know old mate that's sitting on his lounge has had 30 stubbies during the day and he's telling you that you're crap. You go, well, it doesn't matter. But that can sometimes be the thing that sticks in your head. So it's just, you can just eliminate it to the best of your ability or you just try not to let it affect you too much. But if 
people are abusing you left, right and centre, it's probably going to get you a little bit if you keep letting it in. Um, yeah. And I think you've seen that with a few people. So I think the easiest thing to do is probably just try and limit what you see. Have you ever had to say go to the extent of deleting social media apps off your phone or anything like that? Uh, no, just like if it's during a series or whatever, I just I just don't go on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. I'll still go on Instagram, but um, just try and stay out of the way. But then after the series, I'll go straight back on there. It doesn't really matter. It's just sort of during the game. You don't need to be yeah. sitting in your room reading that stuff in the middle of the night. Now, we're here with um, Australian player Marcus Harris doing the winter series. Finally, we've got a batter on, Marcus. We've had Wes Agar, Trent Copeland, uh, Jai Richardson, all quick. So finally we get some batting on for lift the standard of the conversation. Yeah, bit of, they would have been insightful. <laughs> yeah, oh really? Um, so, <laughs> they were great. Oh, great. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's your, what are you working on to get back into the test side? Obviously the obvious answer is, you know, score runs. Um, but do you have anything in particular technically um, you're working on or is it just a case of keep doing what you're doing? Uh, no, I've been working on a few little things in the nets, um, just little things, trying to stay a little bit more sight on um, when I'm playing. I've been caught out a few times. It's sort of been a habit of mine throughout my whole career um, is I can get caught a bit front on a little bit when I'm defending on the back foot. So just working on some little things, nothing major. And I've been working hard um, at my play against spin. I feel like that can help me um, going forward. I haven't done as well as what I've wanted to do in my white ball cricket the last few years. Um, I found, speaking a lot, during that summer against India and Sri Lanka, I sort of played a few big bash games in between series. And it's probably the stupidest thing I've ever done because I was, probably wasn't in the mental state to be playing. But um, So I, would just, I want to improve that. Um, and I think it's a good area that I can improve in. You can, you know, as an opening batter, if you feel like you can get to the point of the spin bowls that come on, you should, really should be trying to cash in. So um, I've been putting some, you know, hard work into that sort of side of the game. and. Um, just sort of now, once you get to the point where you've been playing for quite a long time, you sort of know what you need to do and just sort of get yourself right. And um, pre-season can be a bit more enjoyable when you only got a few little things to work on and you can just tinker here and there, but nothing too major. That's interesting about the white ball stuff because I remember when you, you know, burst into the scorcher side and the big bash and you're, you know, opening the batting and the punchy opener. Um, so it's kind of, you know, your red ball stuff's really developed, but I guess now you want the white ball stuff to be, where you can be considered, you know, for an Aussie, um, you know, call-up. Yeah, just or even just to be like a really, I think in the red ball cricket for Victoria, I've been really consistent contributor. I just want to be um, the same in the white ball side. So um, I think, to be fair, I'd put all my eggs in my playing test cricket basket the last two years. So all my focus had gone onto that. Um, and I wouldn't change that because I, it gave me the opportunity to play for Australia. So that's, that worked really well, but that it did hinder my white ball cricket just a little bit. Um, even last year, you know, we played the Ashes and we came back straight into white ball cricket. So I didn't really put any, I hadn't had the opportunity to put any work into it. So I'd, but like I said, I'd put all my work into trying to play for Australia and working on my red ball stuff. So now it's good to have a couple of months now just to be able to work on um, and, you know, do some things with white ball cricket as well as my red ball stuff. Beautiful. All right. Now um, we're ending every podcast with um, asking our guests, you know, if they were in charge of cricket, um, you know, how would they rule on these things? First question, Marcus, uh, if you had to rule on four day tests, are you a fan? No, I just think it's one of those things where test cricket's always been five days. And um, I know people come out with the stats of saying, you know, most tests go four days, but 
where if you go to the point of going, we're only having four-day tests, how do you have the opportunity to have a game like we had in Adelaide or, you know, mm. games in England, like where the weather is affected a lot, um, especially like we saw in the Ashes, you missed a lot of a lot of games are done and dusted by the time of four days. So um, I understand if it's four days, people play the game a bit differently, but um, I just like the fact of it being five days, hence why it's called Test Cricket. Mm. The number of international players that are in the Big Bash, there's been talk that has been resisted so far a bit of making it go up from two to three or even four. How would you feel about that? Uh, I don't think it needs. I don't think it needs to change the amount of um, players that come into the competition, but I think there needs to be a way to be able to pay those guys money that um, attracts them to come. Because um, I know there's talk of now of being a separate salary cap um, for those guys that. Um, you attract the bigger talent just with the more money. They, the guys that play around the world in 2020 don't care where they go. They'll just go where you can get paid the most money, which make, if, that, if you're trying to make a living of playing 2020 around the world, that's probably what you're going to do. So um, I think we need to find a way to be able to pay those guys, you know, probably what they're worth. Um, but, yeah, that's a challenge for mm. administrators, not for me. Fortunately. Now, this is going to be a <laughs> tough one. Virat Kohli or Steve Smith? Who is the better batter? Mm, Smithy's pretty amazing. Um, I think oh, they, it's hard to split. Virat, obviously, in one-day cricket is on a different level to everyone else. Um, but I think in test cricket, Smithy's probably just got an edge to him. Um, I think like he's, not too many people, if anyone else could do it in t- like in a series that he had in the Ashes, would probably be Virat. But, um, yeah, it's a fine-tooth comb. But... I think because I'm Australian, I'll go Smithy. <laughs> and what about the best bowler that you've ever faced um, uh, from, from Australia or, or elsewhere? Uh, the best bowler I've ever faced was probably, probably I think, uh, Boomer just because of how different he was um, and just had never seen anything like that before. Um, and in Australian conditions, he still found a way to challenge people, which can be hard. Um, our whole pace bowling attack facing them in the nets is not great. Um, and I think, um, well, personally for me with the challenge, Stuart Broad was a huge challenge for me in England last year. Um, it didn't feel like um, he did. He doesn't have the intimidation or the pace factor of what some other guys do, but he sort of had the skill um, and a lot of people cheering and supporting him. And he, but if anyone rides with a crowd of, you know, 20 or 30,000 at him, so... They're probably the main few guys that have been probably the biggest challenges for me. Were you surprised that England dropped him for this first test they just played against the West Indies? Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't. Um, I don't know why they were. Um, why he was not in the team? I did. How did he go in South Africa? And I didn't really take notice of their last series. But he did well. I would have thought, he did well. He did well. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought he would have played. Um, but they seem to be tinkering with their side a lot. They they don't seem quite settled yet. But um, who cares? Yeah, that's right. I, I bet you can't wait for another crack at the Poms one day. Yeah, it'd be good to play them out here. Well, Marcus, uh, thank you so much for coming on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's been brilliant having you on. And, um, you know, best of luck getting ready for the next summer. No worries. Thank you, guys. That was Victorian and Australian opener, Marcus Harris. Interesting chat there, Paul. Yeah, it was great to have him on the show. He's, um Interesting to see how the next couple of years go for him. There's a lot of competition for spots in the Australian side. It's undeniable, though. His record for Victoria, 51, I think he's averaging since he's been there. So you've got to respect those sort of numbers. 
Spirited chap too. I always like that in a guest. Well, listeners, that's it for this edition of the Winter Series. If you can follow us on social media, we're at Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod on Twitter and Twitter and Instagram. And we've got our weekly YouTube show that's on our YouTube channel, Cricket Unfiltered. So go to YouTube and find that. It is there all week for you to watch, um, but we do broadcast it live every Thursday at 5.30. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.